Welcome back to Holy Cow, a Cubs podcast. I'm your host, Sean Holland. Our guest on this episode is Robert Mays, our old friend from TheRinger.com, who we had on last year, and he's the NFL writer for The Ringer. And you can follow him on Twitter, at Robert Mays, R-O-B-E-R-T-M-A-Y-S, on Twitter, at Robert Mays. Uh, We had a really good conversation Mostly about the Cubs and, you know, the great start they've gotten off to and everything. Hopefully we didn't jinx them because they did lose the game that we uh, t- mentioned at the start. You know, they were winning and then they uh, blew the lead after we finished recording. So hopefully that's not a jinx, but um, it's a fun conversation. I did ask him about the Bears, for those of you Bears fans listening. And, of course, I asked him about the Rams because it's my podcast and I want to talk about the Rams. So... Anyway, uh, it was a good conversation, and here is Robert. Okay, Robert, uh, welcome back to Holy Cow Cubs podcast. Uh, glad to have you on. Glad to be here. I'm always down to talk about the Cubs as I currently sit here and watch the game. Yes, uh, for everyone listening, we're recording this on uh, Thursday night, and the Cubs currently have a 2 nothing lead thanks to a bou- bouncing ball that hit the base, third base, for Wilson Contreras, so... It's a good start anyway. Yeah, I'll take it. After last night, I'll take any sort of break that they can get. It's been a fortuitous, blessed month in certain ways, but when you lose a game in the way they did last night, I mean, I think that the next day all you want to do is win no matter how it happens. Exactly. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that blessed month because obviously, you know, I don't want to say people freaked out when the Cubs started 2-7, and but people were nervous. Yeah. Oh, I, I freaked out. I, I, I literally said, let's just cancel the season. This isn't worth it. it. It was miserable that first week. So freaking out is definitely fair. Yeah, I believe I said something in the thought line of, I'd like it if they could go an inning without giving up a run out of the bullpen. They could make it <laughs> one inning. It, it seemed as if we were destined, or I, I guess, imprisoned in this world where it was going to be 12 to 10 games the entire season, and you don't know which way they were going to go. It just felt like that was their destiny, and I was not ready to face a season full of that. Yes, it, that that would be no fun. It'd be fun for you know neutral fans watching, but definitely not fun for us. No, not at all. That's the. I mean, I enjoy runs, but watching your team play perfect offensive baseball and still having them lose—that to me is the most frustrating thing. I don't know. Maybe the other way when your pitcher's giving up a run a game and you're still losing. But either way, the extremes are not fun. They're always frustrating in their own right. Yes, yes, they are. But obviously, um, after that, Cubs have won, you know, I believe last I looked, it was 24-7 and seven or 24-8, and eight, something like that. They've been just, you know, wiping the floor with everyone the last uh, month plus. And, you know, you, you almost do want to – some people are saying, do we want to call this, like, the 2016 feel again with, you know, the way that they're racking up wins. And I don't know if I say that because that was such a special year, but it does feel pretty good the last month, month or so. It's definitely the most fun I've had and the best I've felt about the team since 2016. And I think that that comes from a bunch of different places, right? The starting pitching over the last month 
I, I don't know if the numbers necessarily bear this out, but I would tend to think they would, has been the best it's been since 2016. Because as much as we want to talk about what Bryant was back then or you know, things like that, that team was driven by starting pitching. I mean, it had the best ERA in baseball by far. And that team was built on what guys like Hendricks and Arietta and John Lester were doing. So seeing a starting rotation that's dominant again, you know, is one of the best in the majors again, that's encouraging. I think that the Bryant thing is extremely real and watching him just hit the ball with power again, I mean, even before the last two weeks, I'm not sure I ever thought I'd see that guy again. I'm not sure I'd ever thought I see the guy that won the MVP three years ago, just because the power didn't seem to be there. I mean, we've seen guys with that are ultra talented, lose their careers to nagging injuries and everything else. And it just seemed like he might be on that path. And now his OPS is like 950 after starting the season slow. So just stuff like that. I mean, when you combine that with what Willie and Javi have been, I mean, just overall, I just have not been more excited, more optimistic about my baseball team since that season. So I think that even if the feel isn't there because it's already happened, I think that there's definitely a feeling that this is enjoyable again, and it's enjoyable to a pretty pronounced degree. Yeah. And you know, one of those things like, cause I, I blog on a couple sites, but uh, we get a lot of traffic on Cubs insider, um, the main one I'm on, but you know, there are people leaving comments that were just, you know, trade Bryant. Now he's done. He's finished. This guy's no good. What can we get in the trade? He's not a superstar player. And you're thinking you do get worried about like the shoulder and stuff. And you're thinking, I think people are overreacting just a little bit. And it's like, now it's clicked in and it's like, yeah, I think Chris Bryant's telling all the comments section sections to, all right, shut your mouth. I'm, I'm taking over again. It's great. And it was funny because it seemed like he kind of had that edge before the season. I think in spring training, there were a couple comments, uh, you know, when he hit a kind of monster bomb in the first spring training game that he played in. It's like, yeah, you guys forget, like I'm pretty darn good. <laughs> and to the beginning of the season, it wasn't really there. And now it's there tenfold. I mean, he's, everything you want him to be again. And the thing about Brian always was even when he wasn't hitting for power, he was so valuable because he's always walking. He's always on base. He's an incredible base runner. His flexibility defensively, even if he's not great in any single spot, he can play all over the place. So he has such utility, even when he's not that special player, but getting to watch that special player again and getting to understand you're watching someone that comes around, you know, not every once every 10 years, maybe for your team. I mean, that's really encouraging. Yeah. And uh, I want to kind of shift subjects to the pitching side, because I mean, the first month of the year kind of was rough for this guy, but um, Kyle Hendricks, Oh my God, he is back in a big way. Like three consecutive starts, nine, eight, eight innings. And it's like the professor is definitely uh, teaching a pretty good lesson the last month of the year. He's locked in I and mean, he is locked in. He's the, again, the best version of what you want to see him be. The changeup has been absurd. I mean, it's now become like a legit strikeout pitch. I mean, he's getting swings and misses on that thing in a way that I can't remember him getting swings and misses. And the other thing is it's always so fun that he's always tweaking his game a little bit. The one of the other reasons he's really getting more strikeouts is that he seems so open to going upstairs and climbing the ladder with that 88 mile an hour fastball on two strike counts because everyone's looking for the changeup. 
So even if it's coming at 88, people still can't catch up to it with their eyes because it's not what they're ready to swing at. So I, I just love that he's always got a wrinkle. And when you have a guy who's that cerebral and he really cares about his craft that much, that's exactly how he's going to approach it. But it's just been fun seeing him add layers to his game when he's already so good when he's on. And of course, we finally figured out how do you get Kyle Hendricks to show emotion? And it's him getting hits because he had the, the biggest <laughs> smile I've ever seen in my life after the game on Tuesday when he had the three hits. It's like, oh, that's what he needs to be happy. He needs to hit. It's that. And also, I, I think he always gets a kick out of guys making big plays in the field. You know, when Almora caught that ball the other day at the wall, you saw his reaction. Remember the last start he had at Wrigley when I think he went eight, eight innings or might have been a complete game. It might have been that game where he had one of the shortest, the, one of the lowest pitch counts in a complete game in a long time. And so many great plays in the field that day. And it just seems like he really enjoys that. When his guys are playing well, he seems to have fun. He really seems like a great teammate for a guy that's that quiet, you know? Yeah, he, he really does. And I've heard, like, people, like, some people around the team, like a couple of reporters and stuff that cover him closer, that uh, Hendricks is supposed to be just the greatest guy, that everyone says he's super nice, which is always good to hear. Oh, I'm not surprised by that at all. I always make jokes. Like the only thing he enjoys more than playing baseball is if I let him do my taxes. He, he seems like that kind of guy because he is so professorial and academic and a little bit vanilla. But I would not be surprised whatsoever if he was just a very kind of whatever dude. Like you'd run into him out and you'd be like, "Guy's kind of weird, right?" He seems nice, but I don't. Like, <laughs> he doesn't really seem like he wants to be here. Yeah, exactly. Um, of course, now I mean. We got to talk about Baez because I want to talk about Baez all the time. And he's, uh, everyone, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, a lot of people are saying it, me too, even a little bit. Is the regression going to come? Because, you know, that year was so good last year. And it was like, oh, no, there's not going to be regression. I'm going to be even better this year. And it's like, wow, I, you just can't stop watching this guy. It's remarkable because. I'm so confused why pitchers approach him the way that they do. And I guess that you just can't throw the ball out of the zone every time. Or even if you do, you can't throw it where he can't get to it. I, it's for me, I, I would just, and again, this is maybe it's not a tenable kind of formula or strategy, but if I were a pitcher, I would not, I would throw every single pitch either in the dirt or at his eyeballs. I would never even throw where he could almost touch it. Because it just doesn't seem like it's worth it. You're going to get him to beat himself if you allow yourself to make it happen. And no pitchers just seem willing to go to that extreme. And it's just, it's so funny to kind of watch him just defy all logic when it comes to his approach to the game. Everything we know about great hitting as it exists right now is about discipline. It's about how, what types of pitches you swing at, all of that stuff. And he just throws all of that out the window. He's like, I'm too good to care about that. And it just makes him so thrilling to watch. Yeah. I always think of it. I always tell people that he's um, Vladimir Guerrero, but that Very is, much so. that is the guy you think of. Cause everyone, the same thing. I remember back when I was a kid when, with Vladimir Guerrero, everyone was like, we well, just never throw him a strike. And he'd still, you know, 500 home runs. He was just a machine. Cause they're just, some people are just, they can hit anything. And it's amazing. And the power he has to the opposite field on those balls that are outside of the zone on the outer half of the plate is just, it's special. It's preternatural. It's the type of stuff you just don't see very often. And he's that kind of player, right? 
I mean, again, like you just said, some guys are just so talented that they defy what we expect from just traditional baseball players. And that's what he is. He is so ultra talented that the expectations we have to mere mortals don't apply to him. Yeah. And of course, uh, this thing that broke out on Cubs Twitter, I would say about two or three days ago now, which was, you know, and it's one of those things, I try not to talk about it as much, but it always pulls you back in. And it's this report that came out about that Addison Russell would take over at shortstop. And thank God the Cubs immediately shot it down because why would you not have bias at shortstop? But it really riled things up. And it's like, bias is your shortstop. You've got to keep him there. The guy's a superstar. I mean, am I wrong? I don't think you're wrong. I, I think that also in a weird way, shortstop is such a prominent position. And when you, your shortstop is one of the faces of your team, pretty much no matter what, I think that's always been the case with baseball. It's like a running back a quarterback and a, your number one wide receiver on a football team. You know, your running back is always going to be a prominent personality in terms of how people think about your team. And I think putting Addison Russell in any sort of prominent position is not a smart idea just from the way that the optics of it, everything. So I like what they've done and, you know, I'm not going to get into the Addison Russell stuff because it's not worth it, but I think that they made the right decision. Yeah. You know, actually we think about, it, I'm going to, I won't ask about the Russell thing, but I'm going to ask in a roundabout way because, you know, I write articles and stuff. I'm not like you, of course, much more prominent than me, but, um, you cover the NFL, and unfortunately, there are situations like this that crop up in the NFL. I mean, think about, like, um, Tyree Kill and stuff. And you just you don't even want to talk about it, but it's like a thing that pulls you in. I just struggle with it because I don't want to even bring attention to this horrible thing that happened. But you know the guy's playing, so you're going to have to talk about it. So, you know, is that a struggle you have too? Absolutely. I, I think that you kind of have to separate those things, and you, know, you have to be pragmatic about the idea that he's going to be out there. You know, he's going to be out there. Tyree Kill is going to be out there. You know, guys that, you know, Frank Clark was somebody who had an incident that just got traded to the Chiefs. You know, I mean, obviously what happened with Kareem Hunt. And, and like Russell yesterday, like Russell hits a two-run homer, and I just don't react. I'm not cheering for him. I don't want him to succeed. It's just something that you have to deal with as a fan. I mean, it's, eventually it's going to have ramifications just because it'll def- determine the outcome of games at times. But I'm not sitting there clapping. I'm not sitting there saying, way to go, Addison. I'm so glad you're, you're doing great. It's almost just this thing that's happening that I have no connection to whatsoever. If it was up to me, he wouldn't be on the team, period. So if I have to watch my team with him on it, then I'm just going to try to do everything I can to not celebrate him. Yeah, and that's when I, when I do my recaps. Yeah, I just I think of it like it's just the facts. I just, you know, no, yay, Addy hit a home run or anything like that. I'm just, he hit a home run. That's it. Cause I know he's on the team and I acknowledge it, but like, I'm with you. I don't want to even, I'm just trying to be like, I don't care. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with Araldus Chapman. It's like Araldus Chapman was on the team and I watched the baseball team. I wasn't, you know, like standing up and cheering, like go roll the go when he came into the game. It was just something that happens. He is a person that I, would not want on my team, but I don't make that decision. And I would still like to root for the rest of the guys on the baseball team. And that's what I tried to do. Yeah. And unfortunately, I mean, sports is a business and whatever team you cheer for, there's going to be stuff like this that comes up and it's, it's not fun, but you got to deal with it. Yeah. And it's not about ignoring it. 
you know, I think that that's the mistake that a lot of people make. I'm not saying I ignore what he did because that's a problem in and of itself. And that's part of the main problem. I very much would like to talk about what he did. I'm just saying that when he p- comes up and when he's playing, I, 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 that's, I, I ignore it in a different way. But if anyone wants to start a dialogue about it, if we want to discuss it, if we want to have this be something that constantly comes up when anyone talks about him as a baseball player, that's totally fine with me. I think that's exactly how it should be. Yes, and I, I'm like I'm very proud of my of my sites that they have every. There's been many, including me. I've written, but they've all written that they don't want this guy in the team, and they've all made it very clear. And I'm very glad that they do that. I don't know if I'd want to be on a site where they're like, "Oh, big deal, let him go." I wouldn't. I don't think I'd like that. I, I totally. I, I'm with you. I, I think that that's the right way to look at it, and uh, I, I'm happy for you. I mean, it's it's a nice thing to be able to say you're a part of. Yeah. Well, anyway, let's go on to some happy. Sounds good. Topics, because I, I I hate talk. I you really hate talking about it because it's there's so much so many fun good guys on this team and it's like but. absolutely absolutely I, I think that that's right. But again, I also think that it's something that we should talk about. It's not something that we should just ignore and pretend isn't happening. I think that yes. it's about how you talk about it. That's the most important thing. But for now, absolutely. Let's move. Let's move on to the things that I've actually been enjoying over the last month. Yes, exactly. Um, so now. You know, you got Cole, you got all these like Cole Hamels, John Lester, these two veteran lefties that are just killing it. And like, I want to talk about Cole Hamels, but John Lester, man, 118 ERA this year, he just looks like a beast again. And I mean, he might be one of the best Cubs pitchers I think I've ever seen. I think we've definitely, I forgot who put out the stat this week. So I apologize for that. But it was the number of, games since 2015 when the Lester signed with the Cubs that a pitcher has gone at least, I think six or seven innings with zero or one earned runs. And John Lester led the league. I think he was tied with Justin Verlander. And I mean, that's an incredible stat. And because that in its core is what you want out of your pitcher, right? You, you just want consistency. You want a guy that's going to go out there and give you those type of innings and give you a chance to win the game every single time he pitches. And that's exactly what Lester's done. I mean, I think you absolutely can make the argument that he's the best free agent signing in the history of Chicago sports. I mean, you could probably say Marion Hosa is in that conversation. I think that that's fair, but I absolutely think that John Lester deserves to be mentioned in the same breath because uh, what he's done to the entire organization over the last five years is remarkable. And, the fact that he's still doing it and doing it at this type of level and really kind of sitting there as the ace of this rotation and saying like, all right, if, if this keeps going, if he's this guy all season or not even this guy, you know, if he, he's going to come back to earth a little bit, but if he truly can be great, that just gives you such an advantage in the playoffs. And it just turns you into such a different type of team that they weren't last season. And I think that's, what's really exciting about what could happen here over the next few months. Yeah. And you know, the one issue that you'd, you'd hope the Cubs would be able to address like this trade deadline would be the bullpen. It's been better than I expected, but it's still, you know, rough around the edges. And it would be nice to have like a bona fide closer, but I don't know exactly what the market is for that. But that's the one thing you'd worry about going forward. Absolutely. And the fact that they're thin, you know, without Moro, you really have no room for error. And that's what's made it really tough. And that's kind of what makes, you know, when Strope gets hurt, there's kind of like this, oh, no reaction because there just aren't that many other guys. 
you know, the fact that you're kind of leaning on Steve Cichek to be the guy that can put games away. Steve Cichek's been fine, but like, that's not something I'm really excited about. <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. Well, yeah. So and after, gonna, yeah. And after last year or two, and he was so good to start, but he got used and used and used and by September, he didn't have much left. So yeah, you get worried about that. I mean, it's the same situation they were in last season in regard to stroke. I mean, he misses the playoffs or what would have been the start of the playoffs. And there's such a different team. The calibration is so different when you just don't have him in the back end and Morrow's gone. And that's what we were looking at right now. You're kind of holding this thing together with scotch tape and paper clips. And it's not a fun position to be in. And you go back to last night. I mean, it's just one of those spots where you have to win that game. And I know everything's been going so well. It, it feels bad to complain, but you still see games like that. And the doubt starts to creep in and the concern starts to creep in about what this team is going to look like in September. Yeah. And of course, as is always the longstanding policy of this podcast, I will not accept any Pedro Strope slander. He is one of the greatest relievers the Cubs have ever had. And I don't want to hear any of these people with, Oh, he sucks or he's crooked hat or any of that stuff. He's great. I'm a big, big fan. And exactly when he goes down, it's one of those things where it's like, I am not happy about what's going on right now. This is a serious problem. That's what you need to know. I, mean, I think that's the most important thing when it comes to how you value players. It's when you don't have that player anymore, what happens? Well, what do you think? And I think about that with a guy like Aaron Rodgers. You know, it, every time Aaron Rodgers was hurt over the last five years, the Packers just completely cratered into nothingness. And even if you had doubts about how good he was, it's just about the alternatives. That's how you know what a player means to your team. And I think that's exactly what you see with Strope when he's not playing. I'm not comparing Aaron Rodgers to, Aaron, to Pedro Strope, by the way. I was just yeah. saying it's a comparable situation. Yes, yeah, the very divisive Aaron Rodgers. Because, you know, as a, as a neutral on Cubs Twitter, I'm a Rams fan. As I, I think I might have told you last time you were on here. Yep, I, yep, I know. Yep, so... Um, you know, I'm kind of neutral in the whole Bears thing, but my God, the Bears fans, like some of them are like, you know, fear Rodgers, he's the greatest. And others are like, he's way overrated. I don't like Rodgers at all. It's so funny to watch the, the vicious debate within the Bears fans. I'm definitely in the first camp. So I, I know where I stand in regard to that argument. Yeah. So now I was going to ask you one more thing that I've noticed. Like now a lot of people watch Game of Thrones. I personally don't, but Cubs Twitter huge in the game of thrones and there's been this phenomenon the last uh, two weeks and again this week where the cubs have been on sunday night baseball at the exact time of these end of game of thrones finales and i'll tell you what that is one wild twitter timeline i'll tell you <laughs> i it's nice because i have two tvs so I, I just have the cubs on the top tv on silent while i watch game of thrones so it's been very nice for me to have, be able to watch both at the same time and not have to worry about it because there's a lot going on. Yeah, because you, you talk about Aaron Rodgers reminded me because, of course, as if people don't know, Aaron Rodgers was an extra in one of the recent episodes of Game of Thrones. And it was – I won't give away the, the episode, but let's say it doesn't work out well for Aaron Rodgers at the end. It doesn't work out well for most people in that episode. So All right, so now, of course – I will, of course, since you're on here, I'll give you a couple football questions. Sounds good. And first for the people, the fans listening, because I assume like 90% of my listeners are, are Bears fans. Um, the Bears had a really good year last year, got beat in just a heartbreaking uh, game with the Eagles. But how are you feeling about the Bears going into this season? 
I mean, cautious optimism. I think that there are reasons to be excited. I love, I love Matt Nagy. I, I really enjoy what they did last year. I think that you know, the defensive personnel is more or less the same. I mean, you bring in Buster Screen to replace Bryce Callahan. You bring in uh, Clinton Dix to replace Adrian Amos. Both of those are downgrades. But at the same time, you bring back most of the important players on that side of the ball. And, and that's really nice. The problem is defense tends to not be consistent from season to season. I mean, the numbers have borne that out for a long time. So the idea is it's going to be difficult for the Bears defense to be as good next year as it was this year. You know, this isn't a thing where they're going to drop from the best pass defense in the NFL to the 20th. But like we saw with the Jags last year, who were very similar to the Bears in terms of construction, it's very easy to fall from one to six. The Bears were immensely healthy last season. That typically doesn't translate from season to season. They had excellent turnover luck last season. That typically doesn't translate from season to season. So if they fall from one to five in terms of defensive efficiency, then how do you maintain the type of team, the type of results that you want? Well, your offense gets better. And that's where this season will lie. Can the offense pick up the likely regression, even if it's slight, in the defense. Can Trubisky get better in year two? Can everyone get better in year two of Nagy's offense? Can Montgomery give them a different kind of quantity and a different aspect in the backfield, being a guy that can catch the ball and tote the rock? Those are the questions. I think that as much as we want to make football conversations complex, and they are, this Bears season comes down to whether or not Mitchell Trubisky gets better. If he doesn't, then I think they regress. If he does, then I absolutely think they can compete again. And that is the all-important question, as it normally is with football, and I think the Bears are no different. Uh, now for my question I get to ask. <laughs> um, okay, so, of course, the Rams came up short in the Super Bowl. I wasn't sh- shocked because, you know, I love McVay, but Belichick, I mean... And without Cooper Cup, I was worried about the offense, and they just got stymied. And, you know, but I feel good about the Rams, but I'm worried. Uh, Roger Saffold, John Sullivan are both gone. So, you know, key factors in the Rams' offensive line last year. And I just, should I be worried about the Rams' O line, or do you feel like their internal options that they've got are good enough to cover for losing Saffold and Sullivan? Uh, well, they chose to move on from Sullivan, and I think that should tell you something. I think that they should that should tell you that they liked the other options more, the cheaper, younger options. They felt like they weren't enough of a downgrade to keep Sullivan and have to pay a veteran. I still think you should be worried. I think that this is what we see, right? This is what you see from teams that spend a lot on certain players, everything else, you know, golf is getting more expensive as the number one pick. I don't know exactly how much he's making this year, but it's not the pennies he made in his first couple of years. His fifth year option next year will jump to, I want to say 21 million, but even this season, he's definitely not at the four or 5 million range where he was early in his career. If you do that, you pay Gurley, you pay Donald, you know, Michael Brockers is still making a significant amount of money. You know, Tlaib is on his contract they have, they paid a lot of guys they paid a lot of guys, cooks, Andrew Whitworth. Mm-hmm. And eventually you can't have everyone. And that's why you need to skimp in certain positions. So this is where we are. And you're going to have areas of your roster that 
are weaker and give you pause. And that's exactly what the offensive line and especially the interior of the offensive line is going to be for the Rams. Can it work out? hundred percent. It can work out. And McVay does a lot to help his offensive line. That scheme with how much play action they run really does prop offensive linemen up. You know, you talk to those guys and I, I did a lot during Super Bowl week, just about how advantageous that system is to being an offensive lineman. And it is. So can they mask it a hundred percent? But I think if there's an area of that team you want to be concerned about, that's certainly it. Yeah. Cause you know, the end of the Fisher era, that offensive line. Oh, woof. watching those games. I mean, I was shocked that Goff even survived his seven games the last year under Fisher. It was bad. So yeah, the re- the revelation watching McVay's offense, it to, just to protect Goff is very good. So I'm hopeful too. But you know, like you said, it's very that you you start getting worn down. Like you know, players getting signed and stuff. Yeah. So I'm nervous. But hey, they they made the Super Bowl, so I'm not going to be complaining that much. You have a very good coach, you have a very smart organization, and you have a lot of very good players. Those three things are usually a good recipe for success. Yes, and I will tell the people, yes, I know the Rams got a break in the New Orleans game. I'm aware. But they're still pretty good, and they won against a very tough New Orleans team. So, I mean, just I know it was a lucky call, but I always felt very defensive about that. Being in that game at the end is impressive in and of itself. If you, if you ever watched a game in that building, it's crazy. I mean, that place is so hard to play and they got jumped on early. I'm telling you what Jared made so many impressive throws in the second half of that game. Just one after the other, the deep ball he hit, I think it was to cooks at the end of the first half Mm -hmm. was a great ball. He kept some plays alive in the second half moving, extending that I was so impressed with. I mean, they showed a lot of metal in that game, and that's why I think that they're going to come back okay. I, I think that that team believes in McVay so ardently, and, and they have such a feel about them that I think they're going to be just fine. Yeah, and that he made a throw to Josh Reynolds in the second half that was just incredible. So that's, yeah, I so. remember that throw as well. That's the one where Reynolds was manned up on the linebacker in the slot, and they hit him on, on the left sideline. That was a great ball as well. Absolutely. Yeah, and I did feel bad because – like even my brother's a Bears fan, and oh, my Bears fans follow me on Twitter that, like, with, uh, you know, Zerline made a 58 yard field goal, just drilled it to go to them. Like, guys, I'm so sorry about your kickers. That would have been good from 75. Easy. I mean, I, that's the most impressive field goal I think I've ever seen. Oh, I guess I should ask you that real quick before we go. Bears kicker, do you feel, are they going to find somebody? It's always such a crapshoot, man. I mean, it. You see the contract they handed to Cody Parkey? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, even if you think you have an option, there's a chance that you don't. Uh, and that's the most frustrating part of just finding a kicker. I mean, it's, you know, people are like, I can't believe they didn't draft a kicker. Go back and look at the success rate for drafted kickers in the last 10 years. It's extremely small. For the most part, you stumble into your kicker. I mean, there are exceptions to those rules. Steven Goskowski was good for so long, Justin Tucker, et cetera. But for the most part, you're going to happen upon your kicker. And I think that's what's going to have to happen for the Bears. They're going to have to stumble, luck into a guy that can be consistent for them, and we'll go from there. You know, Robbie Gold was doing construction you know, when he signed with the Bears, and he was consistent for a decade. It's just there's no rhyme or reason to this a lot, and that's why I think you can't really freak out about the options they currently have. Yeah, I'll just remind Bears fans, 
the Rams drafted a kicker in the sixth round out of like Missouri Western. And he's like one of the best kickers in the league. So these guys are all over. You will be able to find one. Oh, but he's the exception. I mean, he's the rare guy that was drafted and ends up being as good as you want him to be. If you draft a kicker in the sixth round, that guy's going to be pretty darn good. But I mean, just think about how many guys, I mean, the Cal or the Vikings last year, you know, they draft that guy. I can't remember his name. I believe in the fourth or fifth round. And he, he got cut like in the first two weeks of the season. So I, there's really no way to know what you're getting out of a kicker. It's an extremely difficult position to predict. And that's why I think there's no sense in getting worked up about who the Cubs kicker, the Cubs, who the Bears kicker is going to be in May. Yeah, that's the two positions in sports, bullpen and kicker that, you know, if they're good, oh, great. But if they're bad, oh, the, the you know, gut-wrenching ends of games, oh. As a Bears and Cubs fan, here's my suggestion. I think we should eliminate kicking from football, period. No more kicking. You got to go for it every play. And I think we should just have baseball games be six innings long. I, I like it. All right? That, that, those are my suggestions. I'll go to the, very, to the dual commissioners, and I'll see what they say about those. Although, as a Rams fan, I probably should not be on board with the kicker thing. That's but. a good point. That gives you an advantage. <laughs> anyway, uh, thank you for uh, coming on, Robert. Oh, my pleasure, man. Absolutely. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at STH85. If you have a comment or whatever, you can tweet at me and say what you think. Also, you can email the podcast. The email address, holycowpod at gmail.com. Holycowpod at gmail.com. Uh, of course, we're on iTunes. Just go in the iTunes store and look up Holy Cow a Cubs podcast, and you can subscribe to my podcast. Uh, you can always rate and review. I've gotten a few ratings. That's always nice to get. And you know, just go on iTunes and give me how many, however many stars you want to give me. You can also write out a review if you have some comments or things you want to tell me about what I need to get better, or if you like it. Um, that's always nice. And you know, until the next episode, thank you as always for listening. <laughs>